Welcome back to the Thinking Out Loud podcast. As always, I am your host, Dave Hallahan. Thank you for joining me today. At the beginning of last week's episode, I started off by just sharing a few thoughts on the Botham Jean Amber Geiger trial and case and, and the subsequent death of a key witness, Joshua Brown. It would be all too easy for me and I think so many others to move on and I said my piece and it's over for me. But I know that so many more are hurting. And as as we heard this week, the Dallas police are saying that it was a drug deal gone wrong, that three men came over four hours to buy some weed and shot and killed Joshua Brown, leaving the drugs. There was apparently a bunch of drugs found in his apartment. And all of this comes out three, four days after Joshua Brown was killed, despite living across the hall from Amber Geiger, a police officer. He was never suspected of having, being a drug dealer, having any gang affiliations, being in any type of trouble that would lead to something like this. At best, this feels convenient for the Dallas police, but at worst, and really what my gut says, is that something much more gross. And then to wake up yesterday morning to hear about the death of a Tatiana Jefferson who was shot in her home through her window while at home with her nephew playing a video game with her nephew because the neighbor called for a welfare checkup because her door was opened and he didn't know if something was wrong so I know that it's while this is happening somewhere far away while this doesn't feel like reality to me that there are many people especially my brothers and sisters of color who are hurting and so I just want to give voice to the fact that I know that they are hurting, that I feel that pain, and that if you are uncomfortable by me talking about it or hearing other people talk about it, sit in that, be uncomfortable. When things like this happen, we should feel uncomfortable. We should not be quick to dismiss it. My thoughts and my feelings are much more raw and less thought out than they were when I talked about it last week, but I just knew how easy it would be for me to just move on pretend like this didn't happen, like I did a good thing in speaking last time. But I know that this is a reality that many are struggling to deal with, and I don't want to ignore that. I have reached out to a couple people to help me. I have reached out to a couple people. I'm hoping to have someone on the show to talk about the Geiger trial, at least, and the relationship between justice and forgiveness. So hopefully I can get that out to you next week. But this week, I do have a wonderful guest for you. His name is Alan Noble. He is an assistant professor of English at Oklahoma Baptist University and co-founder and editor-in-chief of Christ and Pop Culture. He recently wrote a book called Disruptive Witness, Speaking Truth in a Distracted Age, and we are actually giving away that book, so make sure that you leave us, you leave this podcast a rating and review on iTunes and or become a patron at as little as $3 a month. Uh, you will be entered for either or both of those, so you can be entered up to two times. And next week, I will announce the winner of the book. Again, it's Disruptive Witness, Speaking Truth in a Distracted Age. And Alan and I talk about a few different things, including basketball. Basketball is just a few weeks away. Regular season, baby, it's here. So we talk about basketball for a little bit. If you're not into basketball, I would say skip the first seven minutes or so of this podcast. 
Then we talk about an article that he wrote not too long ago called On Living. The link to that, I would suggest that you read it. It is such a good read. Um, but that the link to that article is in the show notes. And then we get into this book, Disruptive Witness. And it is such a good book. If you don't win the free copy, you need to go and buy a copy because I read the first chapter and I bought 10 copies and I gave them out to the young adult leaders at our church. I gave them out to a few other people because I think Alan so well captures the time in which we live, the distracted age in which we live, the informational age and the effects that it's having on our society and the effects it's having on the Christian witness. As you'll hear, when I gave him this interview, I did not finish the book. I had not finished the book yet. And uh, he refused to spoil it for me. And so I can tell you, I'm done. I finished it. And it was still awesome. It was still good. So you're going to want to buy this book. But first, you can hear Alan Noble talk me through it as a little bit of a teaser for the book. And be sure to follow him at the Alan Noble on Twitter. You are a basketball fan, yes. I do like basketball. Yep. And you're in, uh, you're in Oklahoma. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the sigh answered my next <laughs> yeah. question. So you're a Thunder fan? Uh, yes, yes, huge Thunder fan. Yep. Um, that I'm sorry that yeah, it's a rough this time. is it's been a rough time for you guys. Um, so you guys have lost Paul George and. Yeah. Uh, Russell Westbrook this yeah. this off season. Um, who's left? Who's even there? Uh, we have Stephen Adams, the stash. Okay. Yeah, He's awesome. Yeah. Um, I don't even remember. Don't we have Chris Paul? I think we have Chris Paul. Is Chris? Yeah, Chris Paul is still there. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know why we didn't waive him. I don't. I don't know. I guess it wasn't worth the the money to pay him off right. or something. But yeah, yeah um, it's going to be ugly. It's fine. You know what? It's it's time. Russell Westbrook, uh, you know, he resigned with us. He put in probably you know his peak years, and yeah. um, you know, went all in. And but Paul George didn't need to resign with us a couple of years ago either. That was an awesome thing that he decided. Hey, I'm going to stick around in a small market right. when everybody else is fleeing to these big markets. And that's, I mean, that was awesome. I, I thought yeah. that was a really an honorable and kind thing to do. And he gave it a good shot and he, he put everything out on there, out on the court and he got to go back home. He's from, from Palmdale, which is kind of where I grew up in Southern California. And so, you know what I, I thought this man, he put in a lot, it was kind and now he gets to go back home. So I'm happy for him. And, and I hope that Russell Westbrook, I hope the Rockets win it all. So Russell, Russ can get his ring uh, and it's okay if Harden gets a ring too. That's all right. But but Ru- I want Russ to get a ring, um, and I'm just sort of content with it, <clears throat> resigned to the fact that we're going to have some bad basketball yeah, in Oklahoma. Yeah, and okay. uh, so I'm I'm in New Jersey. I'm right outside of Philadelphia. So uh, I'm familiar with bad basketball. Uh, oh I, yeah, <laughs> we we lived through some rough basketball for a while there. Oh my goodness. Um, so it, nationally, and I'm far from Oklahoma. Uh, Russ. Westbrook is 
a polarizing player, uh, but yeah. was he mostly embraced in Oklahoma? You sound like you are a fan. You're appreciative of the time you put in there. You're rooting for him in Houston. Uh, is Does that feel like the, the general consensus or are you just loyal, more loyal than others? Well, he was, he was polarizing here too. I think there were more people in Oklahoma who, who loved them, him than outside, but right. you know, whenever he'd jack up those sort of ridiculous shots <laughs> that he would occasionally make, and then you'd be like, well, I would have told him not to make that, but he made it. And so we won the game. So, okay, good job. But often he would not make those. And so, you know, it was often that people, you know, even in Oklahoma would say, gosh, we're not going to get anywhere unless we get rid of this guy. But, but we also, I think for the most part, people loved him and respected him. And so far, everyone I've talked to, I think has said, uh, I think they're happy. They're happy for him because on the one hand, they feel like, okay, we tried this with Russ for a long time and I think it's time to try something new. And on the other hand, there's no ill will. We know that he didn't, you know, you know, some of these players, they just sort of force their way out and he didn't, you know, he didn't do that. And so we're yeah. like, you know, this is, this is good. We're happy for him. I, I don't know anyone that's bitter about right. toward Russ. Do you have, um, are do you feel like the organization made the wrong decision when they, cause they, I mean, Durant, Harden and Westbrook were all there at the same time. And yeah. then Harden was shipped out. Um, was that the only choice at the time or is it just easy with, you know, with hindsight to say they made the wrong choice? Yeah, I don't know. It's so one thing I'll say is it's a testament to the organization that they drafted three yeah. superstars, like yeah. three of the best players in the league period they drafted. Uh, so that's, that's encouraging. I mean, that's why I'm not too worried about the future. Cause I feel like, you know, they've got a good record, but right. Um, I don't know. I've read different accounts of what went down, and 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 I don't quite understand the economics of it. But it seems like there wasn't a whole lot of room to do too much with with, with Harden right. to make that work. Um, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe there was a way to to to, to make it work, and I wish they had. Um, but I mean, they gave Serge Ibaka a lot of money. Maybe they shouldn't have given him yeah, so yeah. much, and then. Harden, but on the other hand, I'm not convinced that that the three of them would have. They they all use the ball so much. I mean, Durant right. has has you know he's gone away from it somewhat, but but Russell and and uh, James they just use the ball so much. I just yeah. I'm not sure, and which is why Houston's going to be fascinating. Like what <laughs> what's going to happen there? <laughs> right. I, I don't know, but yeah, it'll be well, interesting. I, yeah, I guess we'll get some sort of an answer of what could have happened in yeah. Oklahoma uh, with with what's going to happen in Houston, at least yeah. to some extent. Um, the last basketball question, and then we can yeah. uh, gain back the listeners who have uh, skipped ahead. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the Kind of the, the shape of the NBA right now, where it is uh, title chasing and uh, players are kind of dictating where they play, uh, who they want to play for. Uh, do, is that good for basketball, bad for basketball? And are we, is that just where we're going to be forever or, or what? Gosh, I don't know what's going to happen. I'll, I'll, I will say that after Durant left, I basically stopped watching games. Um, I don't, I don't have cable. So to, okay. to watch a game, I had to get like sling TV and pay right. and it was kind of an ordeal. So to, to, you know, when I wanted to watch it, I had to be serious about it. And after he left, I was just so uh, burnt by that. that, And I just, 
I, I just thought I've got other things to do. I'm going to follow the stats, but I can't, yeah. I don't have the emotional space to watch. So I, that answers part of the question. Is it bad for basketball? I, I think, I mean, it's made it less enjoyable for me. Um, yeah. I would love to see hard team caps or, or, you know, with a luxury tax, I mean, you could do that, but, but um, no caps on individual uh, salaries. Because right. I think, you know, someone like a LeBron and someone like a Durant and a, a Steph Curry, they should be getting paid a lot more than they're, they're getting. I mean, right. propor- proportion to like what they do for right, a team. Right. And so my idea is that gives places like, you know, OKC and, and other small markets a, a, a shot where they can say, okay, well, we will give you this huge stack of money, but we're only going to be able to get these other players. Or you can say, I'll take a huge cut and we'll get better players but but one way or another but yeah nobody wants to do that so yeah. i i don't know what's gonna happen i don't know yeah uh i don't either but i'm i'm curious because of probably because of my fandom with the sixers and them having gone through the process uh drafting well i think with having Embiid and ben yeah. simmons um kind of trying to cash in last year with jimmy butler and not really working out uh, but still they have a nice core there but i do wonder even with like Embiid and simmons how long uh can they coexist together and yeah. uh you know, when they're both getting max contracts, is it from Philadelphia? Is it from other teams? Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but, uh, basketball is almost here. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, but, uh, all right. Now, if you weren't into basketball, stop skipping ahead. Uh, you can start listening (laughs) again. Uh, yesterday, was it yesterday that you posted this article uh, on yeah. your on, on yeah, Medium? Basically. So uh, titled "On Living," and I will link to it in the show notes. So uh, if people haven't read it yet, they can. And I don't want to uh, mischaracterize what you are writing, but um, yeah. kind of on 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 mental health, on um, especially uh, suicide ideation, mm-hmm. uh, and just how the the truth of the gospel is. Um, stands in stark contrast to suicidal ideation and that it needs to be uh, a weapon in our arsenal against such thoughts. Um, I feel like so far I've done a fair job. So before I mess it up, uh, you tell (laughs) us uh, what, what you were saying there. Yeah. So I'm interested in, I I was concerned with really the question of, uh, why we why we live and mm. i i feel like there is a, our society does a fairly good job of advising people warning them encouraging them when they're experiencing suicidal thoughts to to get professional help and uh, we'll we'll say things like you know uh we need you you know like the world needs you stick mm. around and i think all of those are are helpful but it seems to me that, that we also need to talk about um the flip side, which is the duty to live. Like, w- what does it? What does it mean? Why? Why live? Hmm. Um, and it's this is a question that you know French existentialist philosophers who were who were atheists, like Camus. Uh, Camus famously said in uh, the Myth of Sisyphus that that really suicide is the question for philosophy. All other questions are secondary. They're, they're, the main question in life is why stay alive? Because hmm. if there is no fundamental meaning. Why suffer? 
Right. And and I do think that, that that's something that we need to to think through. What what does it mean to to live? What what kind of obligations? Why is it in, important? And I was primarily thinking about what um, what suicide and conversely uh, choosing life every day what it communicates to people because as i say throughout it 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 testifies uh the mm-hmm. choice to get up every day and continue on in life um even when it's very difficult even when it's painful even if you're suffering from mental illness or physical ailment or loneliness or whatever that choice is one of the most profound statements claims about the universe that a, i think a person can make it's a claim that despite the 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 overwhelming power of evil and suffering in the world it is still good to live yeah. and and i think even when atheists even when people who are not christian choose life um i would say that 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 they're choosing it whether they know it or not they're they're bearing witness to a fact that life is good that that hmm. that that creation itself as god made it is good and it is it is right and proper to continue living. There's something about existence that is good, and that something, as a Christian, I can explain, because I can say, well, that's because God made it, right. and that's because he intended for us to to exist. He spoke us into existence. He's the one who continues to preserve us, uh, who, 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 who continues to preserve reality and to, to feed us and provide for us. So even though life is filled with thorns, and even though our labor is 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 toil it's still good because there's a there's a loving god who created us who continues to love us who gives us grace he provides rain for the wicked and the good and and that rain is is still fundamentally good and so what i i guess what i wanted to stress is i i just wanted to be an encouragement that um to, to give people something to think about because uh it's not abnormal to have these sorts of thoughts at, at right. one time or another and when they come, I think it's important for us to recognize that we really have a duty before God and our neighbor. So even when we feel absolutely horrific, when life itself is just a burden, hmm. we need to remember that there is an objective truth, which is that that it is good because God made it. Yeah. And that by choosing to take another step, we are showing to everyone around us that it's good to live. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's good to live because God made the world. Yeah, yeah, and I, I it was a a really good read, and like I said, I will uh, link to it in the show notes so that others can read it. And one of the things that stood out to me um, as uh, I have not particularly wrestled, especially with uh, serious thoughts of like suicide ideation or anything uh, like that. Some bouts of depression or whatever here and there. But one of the things you said towards the end was that we all have a responsibility to speak this truth into the life of others, that it's not just the one who is struggling, who needs to hold on to this truth, but as those who are not struggling, that we, uh, it, it can be easier to hold on to that truth. And so we need to be able to share that freely with those who who are struggling, uh, to encourage them not to to use it as a weight uh, around someone, mm-hmm. but to encourage them and to, uh, you know, it, we do that in relationship, right? That in relationship, yeah. we are able to encourage one another that life is good. And uh, when those relationships are real and genuine, that is in itself a testament to life being good. Mm-hmm. Um, so... So I really, I appreciated those thoughts. Um, 
and uh, I guess there is some some tie-in there to uh, your most recent book, um, Disruptive yeah. Witness. That, make, that makes it sound like I have multiple books. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll keep doing that for you if you want. Uh, but yes, to uh, your book, Disruptive Witness, Speaking Truth in a Distracted Age. And uh, even as, as you were talking there, you said that uh, as a Christian, you have an answer to why we choose life, why we choose to live, right. because we can point to something outside of us. And that's right. uh, a lot of what you're discussing uh, in this book, um, Disruptive Witness, is that yeah. in our current culture, we, broadly speaking, are not pointing to outside objective realities, but that we are looking inward instead. Um, and I'm, I, I tend to over project my ability to read. I have, uh, three, <laughs> I have three little kids, uh, six and younger. So, um, uh -huh. I think I can read faster than I actually can. So, uh, yeah. I just finished the, uh, like first section of the book. So, um, or part part one of the book. That's uh, the best part. So I'll just keep reading. You know, it, it actually Don't is. Well, I can't say it is the best part because I haven't read the rest of it. But um, <laughs> but, but you're going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to tell you that you that. you write uh, a great introduction and chapter one of book this book. Uh, I read the introduction and chapter one, and I bought ten copies for. Um, oh man! For my uh, like the young adults team at our church because I'm like so far I haven't gotten to his conclusions or or his solutions <laughs> but he has clearly laid out some of the problems of yeah. like in our culture today so yeah. accurately that uh, I'm going to trust his discernment in being able to see the problem that that translates into being able to see a solution as well so like I said I'm not there yet so. Uh, I hope you don't disappoint me, but <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of pressure. <laughs> well, in the past too, because like right. it's already written. Right. So if it disappoints, then I don't know. Yeah, this is good to know because in my next book, I'm going to make sure I get that introduction and first chapter nailed. Yes. And really, the rest, it's like you know they've already bought whatever. ten copies. So they've already bought ten copies. Yeah. So like I'm good. Yeah. What you're kind of laying out. Let's see how well I, I've done at reading. Is that uh, in this. Uh, where we are right now in culture with the rise of technology, that that leads to uh, this kind of this information overload, a distracted yeah. society mixed with yeah. um, secularism where uh, yeah. faith just becomes another option. Um, yeah. And because of that, and you talk about contested ideas, uh, truth is, is uh, hard to find or impossible to find uh, out yeah. there. So we have turned in on ourselves that we must find truth in ourselves. Um, why is, where does that fall short? Why, why doesn't that work? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing because that, that move inward. So the fear that there's nothing else that, that we can know outside. So we have to turn inward for some people. It's a positive thing. And so, you know, they're saying, you know, I have to, I have to find, you know, truth for myself. Mm -hmm. or I've got to find my identity or I've got to know, I've got to live authentic to who I am. Right. And so there's this turn inward, but really, I think for a lot of people, it's, it's more of a tragic thing. It's this sense that really I'm thrown back on myself. I can't go outside and find these answers. So all I've got is myself. 
And um, that almost always disappoints people. Uh, when it doesn't disappoint, it's because they've sort of numbed themselves enough that they don't feel the despair. You know, uh, there's, I had an interesting experience once. I had a, a good friend who is, I was spending time with, and he's, um, I asked him, you know, I was trying to be, you know, cool and evangelized. <laughs> uh -huh. And so he wasn't a Christian, or at least I didn't think he was. And so I said, yeah, you know, what do you, what do you think about God? And he says to me, uh, yeah, I, I believe there's a God. I was like, oh, cool. So you don't go to church, right? So what do you, why, you know, why don't you go to church? And he said, well, <clears throat> my problem is that although I believe that God exists, I don't, I don't feel like I can know who he is because there are so many different religions out there to be fair, to, to, to find the right, what's true. I would need to go through all of them to figure out you know, what, what, what religion is true. Mm. And then even if I found the right religion, right. Uh, then there's all the different sects or denominations. Mm -hmm. So even within Christianity, there's so many different people claiming to be the real Christianity, how it would take me so long to just find out which one is the right one. And, um, and so he said, you know, because of that, I feel like I just need to to, to do what I think is, is right before God, you know, to, to, to live in a way that I think is honoring to God. And, and that's the best I can do. It was an interesting, it was an interesting statement because he described the question of God's existence and, and, and of being a faithful, being faithful to God and the terms that we would use for, uh, in the same way we might describe, oh, I don't know, finding the right healthcare plan, hmm. right? If you've ever had the horrible experience of having to choose between healthcare plans, you realize that there is almost infinite information. Yes. And you can't figure out like, oh, okay, so this one covers medicine this way. This one covers prescriptions this way. Oh, but this one doesn't cover out-of-patient care or whatever, right? And, and, and you feel like at a certain point, after spending hours, you realize there are no good answers here. Hmm. Everything is challenging everything. I don't know what, I'm just going to pick this plan. And hopefully nobody gets really hurt and we'll be okay because <laughs> this is the best I can do. But it's the same way with, you know, if you've got to buy a vacuum cleaner and you think, I don't want to keep buying a vacuum cleaner every year. I'm going to go online and find out what is the one, this is the one that's going to last, right? And you find varying reviews mm -hmm. and you realize there are no clear answers. There's too much information. And there's no, no clear answers. And this is what happens when you have, you know, information overload. When there's so much information, what we do is um, we throw up our hands and say, I just kind of need to go with my intuition. I can't get the answers out there. I might be able to get some hints, some clues, but I've just kind of got to roll the dice. We certainly do this with politics, right? right. We just say, gosh, I don't, he lied over here, but they lied over there. So who can, I, how can I? There's no way to know the truth. So I just need to go with what I think is right and live with it. Now, uh, in the end, you know, what he described is that movement inward. Okay, so what do I intuitively think God wants me to do? And to your question, which is, you know, why does that end up not being enough? Right. There'll always come a time in your life where you are confronted with something that uh, shows... Uh, your own finitude, where you realize that your own knowledge is is not enough, that your own understanding is not enough, and and that can be uh, and that can be terrifying when you realize that, for example, you don't have a way of understanding justice, hmm. and because 
you don't have a way of understanding God's justice, you uh, have to look inward, and and that's not satisfying. It's 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 not significant enough. I think for most people, where it happens is is the issue of meaning. Uh, if meaning is not something that's uh, imbued in reality by a transcendent God, then if that's not true, then meaning is something that we put on top of the world. So you imagine there's a material world out there and we walk around and I decide this flower means this and I put a little label on it and you walk around and you say, no, I think this flower means this and you put your label on it. And that's just the best that we can do. And inevitably, a situation in life happens, occurs where imposing meaning on, on reality feels empty and, 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 and sort of soul killing. So for example, uh, the birth of a child is such a miraculous thing that if you were to think that this miracle is just something that is, that feels like a miracle, it's chemicals in my brain. It's something that I've decided is important. Um, that's offensive to a parent, right? Uh, the parent, you know, when you hold that newborn, you realize, no, there's something cosmic about this that I'm holding, uh, holding someone who this, this person matters beyond the meaning that I'm putting on it. Right. Now as a Christian, I can say, well, well, that's because that being has a soul created by God and, and God longs for that person to, 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 to know him. Um, death is another thing when, when a death of a loved one, we recognized that, that, that something, you know, serious has, has occurred. That's not just serious because it happened to us, but it's cosmically serious. So yeah, um, that's a long answer. It, yeah, that's but but a good one. And I think uh, meaning is is a key part in that. And one of the things that fascinated me uh, was and stuck out as especially true, uh, even in my own life, where I can see where it happens. But when uh, when meaning and purpose is wrapped up in in just ourselves, then primarily life becomes about identity, about who we are, and um, kind of then showcasing who we are. Right? This idea of virtue signaling and um, what I do is less important than what I believe, but what I believe is less important than what people think about me or yeah. kind of what I'm, I'm putting out there. Um, and so like our beliefs then are effective in as much as they communicate something about who I am. It doesn't matter yeah. what, it doesn't matter so much what I do or how they actually influence the way I live. It just matters how I'm portraying myself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's less important to be honest than to be perceived as honest. Right. Right. Um, and so then a lot of that, so again, we're, as a culture, we are looking inward for, for these answers to life's big questions. And, uh, uh -huh. because of this information and, uh, the information age we're in, everything is kind of up for grabs. And, yeah. um, I don't know, I forget whose work, uh, he was pulling from, but uh, I, in another part, the Holy Post podcast, Sky Jatani was talking to someone uh, and he was talking about uh, sociologists work on foreground decisions and background decisions um, oh. and how uh, background decisions are the ones that are predetermined for you. Um, 
things that are kind of set in stone by society. And then foreground decisions are the ones that you're making and you're thinking about and you're wrestling with. And what the sociologist showed through his studies is that as there are more foreground decisions, so more decisions that the individual has to determine for him or herself, the less stable a society becomes. Fascinating. And, uh, yeah. And that you kind of touched on that, uh, on page 55 of your book. Um, I, I have it here because I wrote next to it foreground versus background decisions. But when we think about like the middle ages, um, you say you were born in a specific social, economic, religious, gender, political, and commercial position. You had a place within the great chain of being, which led from God all the way down to the rocks. And so like all of those things, your social status, economic status, religious status, your gender, your political followings, uh, your commercial, like your job, like all of those things were kind of set for you. Uh And now all of those things and more are up for grabs. Yeah. So what does that do to the the fabric of uh, of a society? In general, it creates a sense of despair and anxiety. And um, it, it, when it when it goes to the extreme that it's gone for us in our in our contemporary society, we often experience this sense of total freedom as uh, a, tr- a tremendous burden and a threat and a uh, and um, so we experience dread despair, anxiety. Uh, and, and it's important to remember that, that, you know, and I've been accused of, of being someone who's reformed, but wants to go back to the middle ages. And that is, I definitely do not want to go back to the middle <laughs> ages. I would not, I would not survive. Cause I would be, we would all be serfs. Almost all of us right, would be right. farming and I'm terrible at that. I would just not be good at it. So I don't want that. And, and so I would say it is good. It's a good thing that, uh, you know, I got to uh, choose who I was going to marry rather than ha- having it be an assigned marriage. It, it, it's a good thing that, you know, girls aren't married off at 13 and uh, that, that women's primary role is to just, uh, you know, uh, procreate, you know, and that's and that's basically what they're there for, to provide labor for, for the farm, you know. Right. Uh, you know, and I, I'm being a, a, a little hyperbolic, but not not a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's good that we have these some these liberties, but um, we've swung so far the other way, and that's why it's helpful, I think, to look at the Middle Ages just to see how far we've come, and uh, to see how strange it is the time we're living in, where it, you know, as as you read there. You know, we don't have these assigned positions. Now, society will will give us, you know, society can't help but put some norms upon us. Right. But there are a lot looser and there are a lot more options available. And there are a lot of communities that you can join that 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 have their own sort of set, sets of values. Mm-hmm. But the experience, and, and you see this early in the 20th century, the experience of living in the modern world is a sense of, uh, of free floating of not having a sense of grounding of, of, of moving through a modern world where things are constantly shifting under your feet. There's another philosopher, um, uh, Zygmunt Bauman, which is fantastic. Yeah, that's name, a great Zygmunt name. Bauman. I always judge scholars on their names, <laughs> like book by their cover. Yeah, so. yeah. Anyway, he calls it liquid modernity, liquid modernity, because the sense that, that these things that used to be solid have now just sort of turned to liquid beneath us. Mm. And, um, 
So a lot of what the modern experience for people is like is you're trying to make things um, that are liquid act like a solid. You're trying to, and that's a, that's a lot of work. It, it takes a lot of energy, a lot of activity to find something solid that you can, you can rest on. Um, but instead, we're often, again, just sort of thrown back on ourselves and, and floundering, trying to find a sense of meaning and order um, in, in the world. Yeah. So uh, there we, we lay out the problem that there's a, there's a lot of noise out there from uh, the technology age, from just a screen to look at everywhere we turn, uh, that we can use that to inform ourselves, we can use that to compete against other ideas, and we can use that just to numb ourselves. Um, but then there's noise internally as well of uh, who am I? Who do I want to portray myself as? Who do I want to be? And so as Christians who have been given uh, this great commission to go and to make disciples, um, yeah. to, to preach the message of Christ crucified and resurrected, how do we become this uh, disruptive witness? How do we speak truth in a distracted age? I haven't gotten there yet, so you're going to spoil it for me. But can you give us a few things uh, that we can do on a practical level to disrupt that noise for ourselves and for those around us? I, I kind of feel like this whole podcast is just so that you don't have to read the rest of the book. <laughs> I'm not even going to publish this. This is, <laughs> this is just for me. <laughs> Do you even have a podcast? Or are you just, are just, just a phone I've heard of Zencaster, and it's like, this will work. I respect that. I respect that effort. I respect that effort. Um, so I think uh, one of the challenging parts about writing this book is the second half, because I, by the time you get to the end of the first half, you, you hopefully realize that what I've described is a societal problem that's deeply ingrained. Mm. And those are not the kind of things that you can just say, like, here's the three-step plan right. to undo this. And so I argue that there are things that we can do to kind of resist it, that we can kind of push back. And that pushing back is, uh, is honestly the best that w we can do. But, but I do think we're morally obligated to do it. I, mm. think it, it. I think it's our responsibility. I don't think we have the option of just saying, like, oh, well, Modern people have a really difficult time uh, conceiving of a transcendent God who's also eminent. Um, they, our tendency is to just think of things as lifestyle options in a material world. So we're just going to leave it like that. Right. I don't think that's an option yeah. for us. We have to try to disrupt uh, the way people conceive of the world and themselves and their place in the world. And so I, I come up with a few different pattern or a few different areas that I think we can work in. The first is I think personal practices and then church practices and then, you know, uh, co uh, communal practices or cultural practices on the individual level. I think it's important for us to form uh, habits that disrupt both uh, technology of distraction, which tends to pull us away from uh, uh, experiencing the world and uh, has got it and created it, and uh, being grateful to him, and um, and recognize our own our own sin, and being willing to repent. So I think that's a, a huge problem. But then also, it, it I think uh, what I'm about to describe, you know, it's designed to help disrupt our our tendency to to be intensely focused on this material world and to not really conceive of this as a universe created and continually sustained by a living, hmm. loving God. So. Um, that practice is something I 
I, I call the, the double movement. And so the idea is that when something um, beautiful or lovely or wonderful or uh, happens to you, when you see something beautiful, for example, our temptation is, our tendency, our human tendency is to look at it and then, um, and then think about how it's good for us or how we want that thing. So if it's a car, we look at the car and we think, wow, it'd be nice to, you know, to have that. Or if, or if it's a, you know, if it's a, 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 you know, looking at someone who's beautiful, you might look at them and say, you know, sinfully, I wish I was with that person, right? Or, or I wish I looked that good. Right. So the movement there is from yourself to the object of beauty, which God has created. And what I argue is that we need to have the habit of going, uh, of thinking about ourselves and then something good in the world and then moving one more time, but our eyes focus upward in gratitude toward God. And what that does is it makes us, it helps us recognize that we're not the center of the universe. And it helps us remember that, that, uh, that there is a, a, a loving God who, who made us, and that's who we need to be grateful for. So one like specific thing I talk about is saying grace. Hmm. Like when you pray over a meal, uh, what you're doing is you're acknowledging that, that even if you earn the money for that food, ultimately the food that sustains you is a gift of grace and love from God. Hmm. And that's hard for us to keep in the forefront of our minds. It's much easier for us to think of this, you know, when we go to a restaurant, we eat, you know, some delicious meal, we might be thankful to ourselves because we earn the money to buy that meal. We might be thankful to the uh, chain restaurant or the mm-hmm. chef for making something delicious. We might be thankful to the to the, the cow for sacrificing himself uh, <laughs> right. so we can eat it, right. right? But it's hard for us conceptually to recognize that, that the true person, the true being we need to be grateful to is God. Mm-hmm. And I, and so I, on the personal level, I advocate that, you know, we get into this habit, this, we make a habit of that. Um, for church practices, I'll just say briefly, you know, I, I talk about the, the power of liturgy to, to, to fight against distraction and secularism. And then for cultural practices, I talk about, um, uh, the, the power of stories and of art and of, of, of participating in, um, you know, having conversations about, uh, about works of art as, as a way to, whether it's literature or a song or whatever film, uh, as a way to sort of break through a lot of the buzz of modern right. life. Um, yeah, that's, uh, but the rest you're just gonna have to read. I'm sorry. Uh. Well, well what was this even for? <laughs> I, know, I know, I know. And the thing is, is like I just I said all that, and it took a long time. But even at hearing myself, I'm like, that's that's inadequate, and it really is. Yeah, like, it's not enough. I, You're gonna have to read this. Yeah, and I and I shall, and everyone else should too. But uh, I think you know we probably as a, a side effect or a, a symptom of the culture in which we live, we want like here are the five steps or whatever. But what you're laying out is, and as the people of God, it should appeal more to us there. We should have a stomach for it. The long game that, um, to transform the world to, we have to start with allowing the spirit to transform us and resisting the ways of the world and setting up practices in our own life that do that. Um, I, as a, a pastor who works primarily with youth and young adults, uh, one thing I encourage them and their parents to do is like, as you 
and something you touched on at the end of your answer was like, as we take in art, whatever art that is, it's so easy to do that mindlessly. Um, so easy that Netflix put in a, a, like a prompt of, are you still watching this? Like, are you still awake? Are you still a human? Um, but we do, we just kind of sit and we consume or we'll have three screens in front of us at a time. Cause I'm on my phone, on my computer watching TV or whatever, but yeah. to, to take in art mindfully to th- what are you taking in? What are the messages? What is beautiful about it? What aligns with, uh, how we believe the world to be and what stands in contrast to it. And just, just doing that is it's disruptive. It, it is not easy to do. It's a lot easier to just watch friends until my Netflix shames me into turning it off. But, <laughs> but yeah. God is calling us to something much deeper than that. And we need to uh, take in the things mindfully and to be aware, uh, to, to bring things back to him. Um, you described some ways that uh, it's easy for us not to do that with food in the book. You talk about even just our drive to work, um, how we, you know, we're getting there in a man-made machine. Um, and yeah. depending on where we're driving, we might not see many not man-made <laughs> things on our way in. Yeah. And so it, it is really easy to uh, be secluded from God's creation, but uh, we need to disrupt our lives to find ways to be in touch with all that God is doing it. Cause if we believe that to be true, then we need to be reminding ourselves of that. Um, but I think again, the first part is obviously the best part of the book. Um, clearly, but I think, it, I, think it <laughs> I think it's a good word, um, for, for the time where we're at. And so, uh, I hope that people will pick it up again. It's disruptive witness speaking truth in a distracted age. If, is there a better place for people to pick that up or, uh, does the almighty Amazon, do well enough. I mean, I suggest uh, independent Christian bookstore, Hearts and Minds Books, okay. um, or you can get it from InterVarsity Press. Okay. Um, yeah, as you say, yeah, Amazon is a stranglehold yeah. on the publishing industry. It's kind of awful for us. Yeah. But, um, I'm not judging anyone. <laughs> um, I may or may not have gotten my ten copies from Amazon, but uh, I will. I'll link to the other places i'll make it harder for people um there you go that's all we can do that's all we can do um but alan thank you uh for your time thank you uh for for the book uh as well and uh, i we're actually going to uh because i bought 10 copies i have extra so i'm going to give a free copy away uh oh nice at some point in i don't know when i'm going to post this episode but we'll give it away in the month of october so Um, somebody else will be getting a copy Um, so thank you again for your time thank you it's been wonderful yeah and I will tell uh, our listeners that uh, you are you're an enjoyable follow on Twitter as well Um, I I appreciate uh, why would you do that the the bits of humor so there's a lot of pressure I still have the second part of the book that has to be good (laughs) and now (laughs) I gotta be funny now you have to be funny on Twitter oh my gosh so you'll you'll never do this again <laughs> I tell you what, you buy 10 more copies of the next book, I'll do it. Again. All right, deal. I'll do it again. Deal. All right, thanks.
Thank you again to Alan Noble for joining me on the show. Be sure that you're entered to win a copy of his book, Disruptive Witness, Speaking Truth in a Distracted Age, by giving us a review on iTunes and or become a, becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thinkingoutloudpod. As always, thank you to Ministry, Crate, and Lowercase People for the contributions to the show. Until next time.